Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, we're back to studying our um, uh, topic of theology here, and today's topic is going to be on sin. And as we begin, there is something that I think that is important to understand right at the outset. Uh, The secular authorities would have us to believe that the idea of sin is antiquated. They would have us to believe that it's outdated, old-fashioned, out of style. It was for a past era in a previous group of people who were naive and infantile in their beliefs. Uh, People who believe in sin are uh, simply sorry remnants of that past culture. Uh, After all, we live in the age of reason and technology. We know better now. We know that varying sexual preferences are just that, preferences. It isn't really sin. We are an enlightened people. Uh, We don't fall prey to these fanciful accounts of the supernatural. We understand now uh, the naturalistic processes behind everything, and so we don't need to believe in fairy tales uh, anymore. This is what our culture would have us believe today. They want us to believe that religion, and specifically Christianity, is outdated. But I would suggest to us that there is one glaring inconsistency in this position— And it is that the secular world continues to operate as if there really were things that we should and should not do. For instance, and just to provide one example, there has been a significant amount of talk in recent days regarding uh, climate change. And uh, this particular perspective, and I think uh, we could even call it a theology, climate theology, Uh, It has its own entire list of sins that go along with it. Climate change uh, advocates will tell you that it's wrong to have children. Those of you who are with us on Sunday uh, know that I talked about the um, petition going on right now with the hashtag, no future, no children. Uh, They will tell you that it's wrong to drive a car alone when you could have carpooled with someone. Uh, It is wrong to support a political candidate who doesn't address climate change the way that you think it should be addressed. I even saw one place uh, that said you should not use the drive-thru in a fast food restaurant because the car will be idling in the drive-thru and and it will pollute, and so you should park the car and go inside uh, instead. Furthermore, our culture tells us that we should be inclusive towards the viewpoints of others. Uh, But ironically, if you're a conservative Christian, nobody should be inclusive toward your viewpoint. And the point of all of this is is to acknowledge something. It's important reality. The debate is not over whether or not sin exists. We all believe sin exists. The debate is over which list of sins is the correct list. Who has the right list? The secularist has told us not to label things as right or wrong, and then they turn around and do the very thing which they prohibit us from doing. They have listed their uh, a whole bunch of sins uh, in in the climate change theology um, or whatever you might whatever other view um, they they may have. So uh, we could even go one step further than this and ask how we know for certain that something is a sin. In the first place, and the Christian says that truth is revealed in God's word, the Bible. 
Uh, the secularist would have various ways of determining sin, usually contradictory. On one hand, the secularist will claim that science and absolute truth is our infallible guide. After all, undeniable science has told us that climate change is supposedly a real threat. And on the other hand, the secularist will abandon those scientific uh, truths and absolute truth, will abandon the scientific method and tell us that our inner feelings instead are an infallible guide. If a man feels like a woman, then the science is irrelevant and his feelings are correct. He is a she. And so the point is, once again, that everybody believes in sin. You and I may have a different list, but we both believe in sin. Again, the debate is not over whether there is a list or not. The debate is whose list is the right list. Is it the Christian's list of sins, or is it the secularist list of sins, or is it the Buddhist or whatever you want to say? Uh, now, perhaps... Uh, the insane person is an exception, but other than that, or these weird uh, cases on the fringes, nobody lives like sin doesn't exist. Uh, we all believe in a moral code of conduct of some sort. All of us intuitively process information in more than one category. In one category, we have what is, and in another category, we have what we ought to do. We have the is and we have the ought, uh, and the ought is what we are concerned with today. Sin tells us what we ought not do, and, and of course, uh, you see this in every news story almost, because you have not only the news story uh, is reporting to us what happened, but the news story is asking the question, why did it happen, and what should have happened differently? Uh, take uh, an airplane crash, or a, a, some, a shooting of some sort, or a murder, or whatever the news is reporting on. You have people talking about, here's the facts, here's the raw data of what happened, and then here is what the people involved should have done differently. They're giving to us an ought. They're giving to us morality. They're giving to us right and wrong. And so all of us believe in this. When it comes to identifying sin, uh, the Christian turns, of course, to the Word. Uh, in his systematic theology, John MacArthur defines sin as this, quote, sin is any lack of conformity to God's will in attitude, thought, or action, whether committed actively or passively. The center of all sin is autonomy, which is the replacing of God with self. Always closely associated with sin are its products, pride, selfishness, idolatry, and lack of peace, end quote. There are a number of synonyms in, in the Bible uh, for sin, such as lawlessness, wickedness, unrighteousness. Uh, a simple biblical definition is in 1 John 3, 4, which says simply sin is lawlessness. And as uh, noted in uh, MacArthur's definition, uh, sin can really only be defined as it relates to God. Without God, there would be no sin because it wouldn't matter what you did. Uh, and so sin is given meaning from a right understanding of God. This relationship is demonstrated to us in Psalm 51 and verse 4, where uh, David says this, against you, speaking to God, 
and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, all sin is ultimately against God. Now, this is one of the reasons why all of the non-Christian attempts to, uh, to understand sin fall short. They fail to identify sin as being ultimately committed against the true God. And on a positive note, this is why the Christian can experience a clean conscience and forgiveness. It's because of the fact that all sin is ultimately against God. Because if, if all sin was not ultimately against God, and if it was ultimately and finally against someone else, let's say the person that you sinned against, uh, that person could give or withhold forgiveness. But God claims to be able to forgive my sin even when I sin against someone else. So let's say I steal somebody's money, okay? And then let's say that I give that money back, but they don't forgive me. Uh, if I ask God for forgiveness, I am forgiven, and I could go to heaven with a clean conscience, even if that person does not forgive me. Now, how can that be the case? How can I be forgiven if that person has withheld forgiveness? Because ultimately, I'm not saying that, that, that there's no aspect of this that I've sinned against a person. I have sinned against that person, but, but ultimately and finally, I've sinned against God. And so the reason that I can be forgiven is because my theft wasn't ultimately against that person. It was against God. Now, along these same lines, we have another illustration from the Bible where Joseph is tempted to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. And he responds with this in Genesis 39, verse 9. He says, um, uh, let's see, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Adultery, as this verse tells us, is no private matter between two parties. There's a third party involved, and that is God. And the reality is that all of us sin every day, whether it is um, uh, omission, commission, whether we sin by um, failing to do what God has called us to do or not doing what he's told us uh, to do, or whatever the case might be, even if it's simply in the motivation of the heart and not loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, we constantly are committing lawlessness. Uh, and I think we all know that intuitively. I mean, imagine uh, that God were to judge you for the thoughts that you've had uh, simply uh, today only. Um, God would judge you worthy of an eternity in hell because of that. And the same is true with, with me. Um, we're constantly committing lawlessness, if not in action, in mind, in motivation. Um, the way that this came into the world is through the fall, and we see that clearly in Romans 5.12 that says, as uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This sin has completely infiltrated our lives. John Calvin notes this, quote, We are so entirely controlled by the power of sin that the whole mind, the whole heart, and all our actions are under its influence, end quote. We still have yet to get to the gospel in these uh, conversations about theology. And uh, we're talking a lot about sin today. Uh, but in that episode, uh, Lord willing, uh, we're, we're going to talk... Um, about the hope of the gospel and see the hope that's available in Christ. And I realize that a conversation like today can perhaps be a little bit depressing or um, discouraging, 
but it is a necessary conversation to have. I want to read to you perhaps a little bit of a lengthier quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Um, actually, I think I may have read this on here before, um, but I'm going to read it again anyway. So um, he says this, um, It is of no use trying to sew with the silken thread of the gospel unless we pierce away for it with the sharp needle of the law. The law goes first, like the needle, and draws the gospel thread after it. Therefore, preach concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Let such language as that of the 51st Psalm be often explained. Show that God requireth truth in the inward parts, and that purging with sacrificial blood is absolutely needful. Aim at the heart, probe the wound, and touch the very quick of the soul. Spare not the sterner themes, for men must be wounded before they can be healed, and slain before they can be made alive." No man will ever put on the robe of Christ's righteousness till he is stripped of his fig leaves, nor will he wash in the fount of mercy till he perceives his filthiness. Therefore, my brethren, we must not cease to declare the law, its demands, its threatenings, and the sinner's multiplied breaches of it, end quote. I heard someone say recently that hard teaching makes soft hearts and soft teaching makes hard hearts. And for the sake of your own soul, let me encourage you to run away from teaching that elevates man. Are you listening to pastors and teachers who sound like mo- more like motivational speakers who are doing TED Talks than preaching the hard truths of Scripture? And if so, again, I encourage you to care for your own soul and feed your soul with a biblical view of sin and a biblical view of the hope of the gospel. The greater your sin, the greater the power of the gospel. If you are just a creature just needing some improvement, some cosmetic improvement, uh, and, and I'm really a decent guy, um, not really done that you know much bad, but I, I just need someone to just kind of help give me a little boost. I need some a self-esteem boost or whatever it might be. If that's all that sin is, then the gospel doesn't really do that much. It kind of cleans me up a little bit on the outside, you know, brushes the dirt off or whatever. And the gospel really isn't something uh, really that worth talking about, if that's all it is. If all the gospel does is just improve your life a little bit, then it isn't that powerful. But if, on the other hand, you are a rebel who must lay down his arms, then the gospel must be extraordinarily powerful in order to overcome that. God offers us forgiveness in Christ, and the call for us is to turn to him today. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.